Welcome, gather round the fireside and listen to a tale of Yon McCool, Cullen, Deirdre, all the sorrows grow on your wail. From giants right down to fairies, about the trooping and solitary, and those who are sometimes scary. Anything goes by the fireside. Yeah. Fireside, the Puka Fireside, the Merrow Fireside. Kings and queens fighting heroes, don't you run from the fun, there's no need to hide. Sit by the fireside. Mm-hmm. Fireside. Hello and welcome to Fireside, the Irish storytelling podcast. Each episode of Fireside, we take a story from folklore and mythology, retell it and have a chat about the tale itself and about the craft, culture and history of storytelling. My name is Kevin C. Olihan. I'm your host and your Fireside bard. Welcome to episode 87 of Fireside. Today on the Irish Storytelling Podcast, we're going to be telling the story of a poor, poor farmer who goes on a magical journey to the Scandinavian lands. But first, I want to give a huge welcome to any new listeners. You're very welcome along to the Fireside. Uh, Please do check out this episode, and if you enjoy it, check out the others. Why don't you go right back to the beginning, to episode one, and see what we've been building up to over the last nearly two years now and if you like it tell all your friends and if you're a returning listener thank you so so much for your continued support please do continue to follow me on instagram at fireside bard if you want to get in touch uh, please do email me at the fireside bard at gmail.com if you're not on the social media sphere and you want to uh, let me know your thoughts or just to check in and just uh, say hello which i always always love hearing i always love hearing from the ever-growing fireside family and a particular thank you and a shout out to the supporters of the patreon please do support the patreon.com forward slash fireside podcast if you want to join our ever-growing list of very kind generous benefactors very special thank you to this week's two latest patrons and that is Catherine Prasivka I hope I pronounced that correctly and Christopher Christopher has given us no second name so we shall just call him Christopher and Christopher and Catherine join Jack as this month's latest patrons and thank you so so much in these ever this ever increasingly more uncertain year it seems uh each day it seems like we're getting further out of it and each day it seems like we're getting, the future seems farther and farther away. At the time of the recording of this, certainly, we are still very much in the the depths of the pandemic, of the COVID-19 pandemic here in Ireland and indeed the world. But certainly here in Dublin, yes, as things start to get more and more back to normal, it can seem, the future seems murkier still. We're definitely not out of the woods here, folks. So the support on the Patreon has never, ever been more appreciated. So thank you to each one of you. If you can support the Patreon, please do. If not, that is totally okay. It's totally an egalitarian model of soundness. It is entirely up to you. If you are listening to the podcast and enjoying it, that is that is enough for me as well. And I love just hearing from you and hearing that you are getting a bit of a buzz out of it. If you are enjoying the podcast and you can't support the Patreon... Why don't you just give it a follow on Instagram and tell a friend and we'll call it quits. But thank you so much to all the patrons. So, 
to get down to the story. This week's this week's story uh, was quite a serendipitous find because uh, regular listeners will know that we've been dealing with the Vikings and uh, we've been dealing with this new invasion saga, invasion cycle that I've been putting together myself. And it is dealing with the, the Norse invasion of Ireland in the ninth century. And so usually what I like to do with the folktales, as we alternate between myth and folktale, is have the folktales be a total contrast to the quite sequential chapter-based nature of the myths. But ever so off, every so often a folktale will appear that almost seems to bridge the gap that can often appear between the myths and the folktales because often they're far more different than they're given credit for but sometimes they occupy the exact same world and this week's podcast was an exact example of occupying the same world and that is that this is a story of an Irishman and his encounter with Norse lands and it was a very it was a very good find I got it from the book of Sean Sean O'Sullivan's collection of folk tales of Ireland by the uh, UCD Irish Folklore Commission, which has increasingly become more of a Bible as a source for these folk tales. And uh, this was a story I had not noticed hugely before because it was quite long, um, as you will quickly see. Because I usually like to do, because the nature of the myths means I usually have to spread them out over several weeks or spread the cycles out, even though for the most part they can be told they're their own story and you I would like to think that you don't for the most part have to have listened to all of the myths to enjoy any individual episode but by their nature sometimes they will they will certainly benefit greatly from listening to all of them but I definitely never like to split the folk tales in the, into more than one part because usually they're quite nice and they're quite short they tie in together and or they rather they stand on their own and just occupy their own world but sometimes a folktale will be a certain length and I might have to shorten it down or sometimes I'll have to beef it up sometimes there's just a kernel in a story that I will really like but it needs a bit of padding out and sometimes the story is a bit long and I have to cut out elements and when the story is good and it really works I really don't like to cut any elements that I really like so this is a case where I've done a two-parter on a folktale, is what I was saying in a very roundabout way. And we will talk more about the tale itself, but first we'll have the tale. And this is the first part of Sean Nabon Oiga on Fireside. Sean Nabon Oiga. Once upon a time, in the townland of Bonoaga in West County Kerry, there was a poor, poor farmer named Sean O'Shea. Sean married and had a sack of children, and his debts only grew and grew. The encroaching poverty marred any joy and happiness and fulfilment brought by his loving family, and one day Sean simply had enough. He said to his wife Dervla, This is no life. This is no way of living. This is not what I signed up for. I failed you, I failed the children, and I failed myself. And there's nothing more I can do here in Bonoga, so I'm going to have to go. Go, cried Dervla. Where will you go? What will become of us? I will send every penny I earn to you and the children, and the eldest is old enough to work the farm. You'll survive, and when I return, we'll all thrive. 
There was little Dervla could do to convince Sean otherwise. The next morning he arose early and through tears said his goodbyes and was off to seek his fortune. From Bono again, West Kerry, Sean trekked all the way to Cork City. From the city he made his way to the harbour and came across a massive cargo ship that was smoking and looked ready to ship off. Sean grabbed the arm of an old salt who looked like a crew member. Excuse me, where is that ship bound for? With a timber ship bound for Lachlan. Lachlan was an old Irish word for the Viking capital of Norway. And who is the captain of this voyage to Lachlan? asked Sean. Why, Captain Mackey? Well, I'll have to have a word with this Captain Mackey, Irishman to Irishman. It was not hard for Sean to spot the captain, considerably better dressed than any of the sailors as he was. Captain Mackey, my name is Sean O'Shea, and I've left my wife and family in West Kerry in search of fortune. I have no money to pay for passage, but if you take me on as a sailor, I will work twice as hard as any man here. The captain let the slightest of smiles grace his bearded face. I am always keen for a good extra pair of hands. We are at the mercy of the wind and the tide, and the cargo is not even half-loaded. Get on board, get yourself fed, then get to work. Sean O'Shea thanked the captain and got to it. When the tide favoured their voyage, the eight-legged dog, as was the ship's name, set off for Lachlan. The winds favoured them all the way, and the fresh air and swelling sea was such a refreshing change of scenery for the West Kerry farmer that it lifted his spirits. The labour was aching, but Sean's appreciation was greater. When the ship arrived at the rugged coastline of Norway, Sean disembarked with Captain Mackey. I can never thank you enough for what you have done. I will find wealth here and bring it to you as payment. Forget about that, said the captain. You are a good worker. You are on your bed and board, and it's the least I could do to help a soul in need. I would hope somebody would do the same for me should I ever be in such a situation. The captain told Sean that the ship would be in Lachlan for the season, and when they would be returning home should he need passage back. With thanks, they parted. Sean may have earned his keep on board the eight-legged dog, but he was still poor as a student as he walked the lavish scenery of Lachlan. It was summer, so the stretch in the evening was such that Sean thought he had transcended into the fairy world. He was not, as it turned out, far off. Sean passed hotel after inn after hostel, growing more and more tired and hungry with each step. But with no money in his pocket... How could he pay for lodgings? He doubted a hotel would be as kind as the sea captain had been. But then, Sean passed a curious-looking building which could only be kindly described as a hovel. It was in strange shape, resembling more a large mushroom than any kind of building. Sean said to himself, It's not pretty, but I don't think I have much choice. If there's anywhere that's in my price range, it's this kip. Sean O'Shea pushed the creaky wood of the hovel door and entered. The home seemed even smaller on the inside, and Sean was greeted by two of the strangest-looking creatures he'd ever laid eyes on. They were very similar-looking, 
in that they were both skinny to the point of being emaciated. They were clothed in rags and had beards that went from the door of the house to their faces. It was as if they were wearing the carpet on their face. Well, if it isn't Sean O'Shea from Bonoiga, said one of the figures. This welcome did not put Sean even slightly at ease. Oh, do you know my name? Was one of the sailors in here before me? I didn't even think they knew my name. Never mind, Sean, said the other man. Come in and warm yourself by the fire. Still unnerved, but remembering how cold and tired he was, Sean moved closer into the hut. He nearly sat on a stool before realizing it was already occupied by a woman. This woman was as old as the two boys, and just as ragged and hairy. Oh my, said Sean, my apologies, I, I didn't see you there. Ah, don't worry, Sean, that's only Sybil. Sit down and she'll make you something to eat. Oh, that's really all right. The growl in Sean's stomach prevented him from even finishing that sentence. The woman called Sybil looked like Sean was not welcome in this house at all, but nonetheless she prepared Sean a meal he gratefully ate without even looking or questioning what was. The two men whom Sean discovered were brothers sat silently as he ate. They then showed him to his bed and said good night. Sean never quite relaxed, but he had been fed and found and out of sheer exhaustion fell asleep. Sean O'Shea spent the next several days with the hairy trio in the Scandinavian hovel. He never learned too much more about them, but he could tell they were worth sticking around. He was still keen to know how exactly it was that they had anticipated his arrival. Sean also explored the area a bit too. It was mostly thick, rich wood, often as dark as the mushroom shack. But amidst the trees, Sean did discover another structure of similar build, with a giant flagstone blocking the door. Try as he may, Sean was unable to move the flagstone and quench his curiosity. On the fourth day, one of the brothers suggested they go hunting in the woods. Sean had never even hunted in Ireland, never mind the Norwegian wood. So they armed themselves with slings and bows and arrows, and out they went into the thicket. Sean was not even aware what he was hunting for, as the hairy brothers armed him and fired into the wood. First arrow fired was a dead shot. They heard a large animal collapse to the ground. Sean went to inspect expecting it to be a deer or a boar or maybe even a troll. It was, in fact, a giant mouse. This mouse was the size of a badger, and Sean didn't know whether to puke or run from the sight of it. His companions, however, were not even the least bit surprised. Excellent! There is enough for all of us, said Sybil. Enough for all of us to do what, exactly? inquired Sean. Why, eat, of course. And handing Sean a knife, they all got to work. Before long, a fire was prepared, a roasting spit mounted, and a giant mouse cooked. All while watching it turn upon the spit, Sean convinced himself he would not be able to stomach such a thing. But when it was offered to him, 
he found he feared insulting his companions more than his own stomach. After several false starts and near misses, Sean swallowed a mouthful of mouse. As he chewed the gamey meat, his disgust very quickly turned to amazement. Oh my God, cried Sean. What is it? asked a brother. I know the location of every piece of buried treasure in all of Ireland. Imagine that, said the other brother, not half as surprised as Sean felt he should be. If you got that from one bite, imagine what you'll know when you drink of this mouse juice. And Sybil offered Sean a metal goblet he hastily guzzled down. No sooner was his thirst quenched than a frown came upon Sean's face. Oh no! I know even less about buried treasure than I did this morning. I can't even remember where I buried the family savings in my own back garden. It's just as well, said the brother. That information would not have been good for you, trust us. I have to disagree, retorted John. You cannot imagine how poor I am. And I have a wife and family at home starving worse than me. To even dig up a shovelful of the riches that were just rattling around my head would have fed my family for life. The elder brother leaned forward. We promise you, Sean O'Shea, if you help us, you and your family will be rich for all your days. Suddenly, coincidence evaporated, and Sean realized he had stumbled upon that hovel for a reason. What do I have to do? To be continued. Folks, as you all know, Fireside is a proud son of the Headstuff Podcast Network, which is Ireland's largest network of independent podcasts and a loving home for the creative and indeed the curious. There are so many other podcasts I could recommend to you on the network, some of which inspired me to approach Headstuff myself. Here's a taste of one you might enjoy. When it comes to understanding political issues, I am a self-confessed toddler. That's why I've enlisted the help of Steve, my politically savvy drinking buddy, to help me better understand politics. Every couple of weeks, we get together and record on topics like what is the politics of language, what is Watergate, how the internet is killing democracy. We take these big issues and we break them down into silly little comedic bite-sized bits. If you like the sound of that, then search for What Am Politics in your podcast app of choice or find us here on the Headstuff Podcast Network. And that is the first part of Sean Nabonoiga on Fireside, and I hope you enjoyed it. Yes, there's only so much I can say about this story without giving away too much of what is all to come, but I hope there was enough in there for it, because like, I'm looking even at the time in the studio here, and it is about the length of... All these episodes are slightly different lengths, but there does seem to be an average length that the episodes would be between about 30 and 35 minutes. Sometimes they're longer, but that seems to be the, the average, and I usually would not like them to be much shorter. But I knew when I was adapting this story, when I was writing it initially, I thought, of course, it would be one part, like nearly all the other folk tales. But by the time I literally got to that part in the writing where I finished the story there, 
I knew it was a two-parter. I knew there was enough left and there was enough of its own story, which all will be revealed and I hope it will absolutely be worth the wait. But what we can talk about is, again, this story came from Sean O'Sullivan's collection, Folktales of Ireland, which we've been getting the past few folktales from. I've been focusing specifically on the people of the other world section of that book uh, to do my own interpretations of. But a number of weeks ago, regular listeners will remember that we had the story of the cat and the rat, which featured larger-than-life, monstrously-sized rodents and cats. And it introduced us to this concept of fairy beings, of other fairy beings other than actual fairy humanoid people, you know, characters. And so a couple of weeks later, we have another or US's, as they would be called in The Princess Bride, the rodents of unusual sizes, where we have this giant mouse. Let's talk about the, the mouse in the room, which is this prophetic giant mouse flesh, this enchanted, fairy, otherworldly mouse, that if you partake of the flesh, you will know the exact location of every bit of treasure in Ireland. And if you drink of the soup which I suppose we don't need to go into too much about what the soup might be made of, you will forget it all again. And so why? Why is this? Well, we mentioned on, if those listened to the episode on the three laughs of the leprechaun, which also came from this section, I talked a little bit about how the myth of the buried treasure at the end of a rainbow associated with leprechauns, the... uh, pot of gold as uh, it nearly turns into ash in my mouth as I say that that legend came from buried Viking treasure I discovered quite recently that the Vikings and the Scandinavians when they were over in Ireland and occupying the country for about 200 years before eventually either assimilating into Irish society or uh, leaving again they buried a huge amount of plunder throughout these hills and over the course of history and folklore this buried treasure somehow got associated with this fairy shoemaker, the leprechaun, which is quite, I find quite a nice association because when I talked about the origin of the Norse gods a couple of weeks ago, was that last week? I think that was last week. We spoke about the Bifrost, which is how the Norse gods travelled between worlds. It was also known as the Rainbow Bridge. And the Norse believed that when you saw a rainbow in the sky, what you were actually seeing was the Vikings traveling to our world, to Midgard from Asgard. And so it's very hard to prove, like anything in folklore and mythology, but it's also very hard to deny that suddenly we have this association with rainbows in Ireland, with buried Viking gold. So could it be that the gods were trying to get back to this plundered treasure and that this treasure was then coveted or stolen by the she and the fairies of Ireland. We won't know. I mean, maybe we will. I mean, my research can only take me in certain directions, but who knows, we might get a bit more to the bottom of that. But that is a very fascinating aspect. So with this story, with Sean Abanoga, we have, it's all very traditional. I love two kinds of stories particularly, and... They are either stories about storytelling or, as we have with the storyteller and the beggar and a couple of other ones, and I also love stories about voyages because, you know, we all do that. We all love adventure stories. There's something in 
human beings inherently that we just love the idea of a journey because all stories are about a journey of some kind and but it's really nice and we really like it and we really are drawn to the idea of open sea voyages particularly because the sea is still this endlessly mysterious thing and personally I certainly feel that from growing up in a coastal port town in Wicklow town I've always had a great love for the sea and um always loved boats and being out on boats as well so the idea of going on a sea voyage is fantastic but of course we all are we all feel this this is this obsession that humanity have with the likes of the vikings but also with pirates and with sailors in general so with this we have a very traditional sea voyage of a man seeking his fortune for his for his starving family and ending up in this land of Lachlan now to talk about Lachlan a little bit Lachlan, I was always led to believe, was which we had only really discovered discussed in, I think, in the Fina in the Fion cycle, that or the Fenian cycle that there was mentioned because Fionn McCool is said to have fought the Vikings, and so there is mention of Vikings from Lachlan and other warriors coming from Lachlan. I was always led to believe that Lachlan was Norway which is certainly what I've gone for in this story, I have recently heard another theory that that's not quite as definitive as we once thought, and that Lachlan was also a name thought of for the Hebrides, which are the disputed islands off the north coast of Scotland, that, I mean, apologies to anyone from the Hebrides, or indeed from Norway or Scotland, I'm not actually sure what the crack is with the Hebrides, but that they are either owned by that the Hebrides are owned by Norway now or are owned by Scotland, I'm not sure which. But needless to say, there is a huge amount of both cultures and a very unique place they are and a unique heritage that they share uh, of Celts and Norse uh, lineage. And so that's quite interesting. That potentially changes things because this story could very easily be take place in either the Hebrides or Norway because it ultimately is just about it being a mysterious island that is home to these three individuals who have expected Sean Mabonoiga's arrival. And I can't go into a huge amount more without spoiling later parts of the story. We can talk about all that when we do get to part two. But what I will say is I'll start asking these questions. You know, who who are these? Why did they know he's expecting? Why did they have absolutely terrible Scandinavian accents? I do apologize if I do have any Scandi listeners to this podcast for my bastardized attempt at doing a more Nordic Scandinavian accent, which I'm probably just basing from episodes of Vikings, uh, which is more for... Uh, which is a lot of Irish actors doing Norris. It has its fair share of Scandinavian as well, but I suppose because it's filmed entirely in County Wicklow, there are a huge amount, a disproportionate amount of Irish actors in that series. But that was, I mean, that's always fun. It's always fun to have a go at at other accents. (laughs) Certainly it's one of my favourite things about doing this podcast because, rest assured, I don't plan the accents too much beforehand. I probably should a bit more. But usually when I'm reading the podcast, it takes me so long to, to write them, so much of the effort goes into the writing. I usually just see what comes out when I do the the readings of them and figure it out as we go on. And if I get something I like, I keep going. If I don't like, I go back and we cut and we, we try something else. But we have these three mysterious figures in this in this hut that all will be revealed about in due time.
So I'm going to wrap things up there now, folks. This actually potentially could be after me speaking about the shortness of the episodes that I didn't like to have them under 30 minutes. After editing, this actually might be. No, surely not. Um, I hope you enjoyed this story or the first part of this story and that you look forward to the next one. Next week, we are going to have a look at the Battle of Tara and we're going to continue to look at the Viking occupation of Ireland. Been getting a nice bit of uh, feedback from the Norse cycle so far, from the Invader cycle and saga, as we, I'm calling it. So thank you so much. Please do continue to get in touch with thoughts if you have about it. As always, love hearing from each and every one of you. And I will get back to each and every one of you as well. If there are a couple that I haven't yet, rest assured I will. Uh, so a big thank you to Alan, Paddy and Connor here at Headstuff. Uh, thank you so much to Jamie Rounds, my editor, for continuing to edit this podcast and make it sound all professional and lovely. Thank you so much to all of you listeners. Uh, follow me on Instagram at Fireside Bard. If you're not on social media and you want to get in touch, email me at thefiresidebard at gmail.com. Support the Patreon at patreon.com forward slash fireside podcast. I'll see you all. You'll hear me all next time. And remember, wherever you are and wherever you go, you can always join me by the fireside. This podcast is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network.